Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This podcast contains adult themes and graphic descriptions of violence. It may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Screenwriters will tell you every great tale about heroes and villains as a single moment that captures the theme, the story behind the story, the essential truth. You see it in the movie Training Day. It's the moment when corrupt cop Denzel Washington says to clean cop Ethan Hawke, you've got to get some dirt on you or no one will trust you. In Walt Harris's book, Badge of Honor, he wrote about his time in Detroit Mayor Kwame Kilpatrick's Executive Protection Unit in 2002 and 2003, a time when he and Harold Nelthrope were hawks surrounded by Denzels. They were clean and surrounded by people trying to get them to rub dirt on their shiny gold badges. They would have to if they wanted to fit in with the crew that charged the taxpayers of the poorest city in the country for thousands of dollars in fake overtime, watched over the mayor as he cheated on his wife, made fellow cops fear for their lives if they broke ranks. Those guys were making $100,000 a year. With a lot of fake overtime? Well, it had to be. So we started questioning, are they making this kind of money? And a lot of the times they weren't with the mayor. They were having TV screens put in the back of the headrests of their new vehicles. I'm Christy Strasser, and this is Who Killed Strawberry? Harold Nelthrope is a cop's cop. Conscientious, precise. These days he runs a private security company in the city. In the early 2000s, he was one of Kwame's guys in the executive protection unit. And that put him in, shall we say, an awkward position. We weren't committing any of the crimes? That's what we're asking. Oh, no way. I don't play. See, I was the oldest person in the executive protection unit except for Ron Fleming, who was charged. I was one of the oldest guys there. Me and Walt, as a matter of fact, even before he got rid of us, we used to talk to each other and say, man, you know, I think, you know, we might need to get out of here. It was just too much going on. He'd go to massage places, you know. One night, we, uh, me and Walt drove him to, uh, we don't know what was going on, went to a house one time. It's like 1 o'clock in the morning. He like he was always hyped up, you know. I'm not even going to say what, I, what I'm thinking, right? but I have an idea. I mean, after him working all day and coming in at 11 o'clock at night, and all of a sudden, 12, 30, 1 o'clock in the morning, he's ready to go. 
like, what the hell? You know, where are we going? And we go over to somebody's house, and we have to sit outside in the car. You know, we sit out there for a couple of hours, you know, 3 o'clock in the morning. Your job was to protect the mayor, and the mayor was making it really difficult. It was very difficult, very difficult. I wasn't with him, but him and Walt Harris and uh, Mike Martin was with him. I believe it was in Washington. Me and wanted to go to the nightclub, but the guys then said, no, you can't come in here with no gun. They said, we, we the police. The mayor says, I'm the mayor of Detroit. He said, I don't care, but you ain't coming here with no gun. So he said, take the gun back to your car. So Mike Martin apparently goes back to the car, takes the gun to the car, and Walt Harris said, what you doing, man? We, hey, you can't go in there. We can't take the mayor in there, and you ain't got no gun on. So he said, well, you stay in the car with the guns, that kind of stuff. Nell Thrope remembers his time in the detail as one fraught with anxiety. It's not easy for cops who see things unambiguously, right or wrong, legal or illegal, to operate in gray areas. Another time, I was uh, driving him, and he wanted us to uh, go up on Livernoise, and we had to sit on the corner. It was at I-96. He was waiting on the car to pull up. So a car pulls up, and then he said, okay, go ahead and drive. The driver's going to the barbershop. It was nighttime, so we go to the barbershop, pull up. It's a place where he gets his haircut, which was actually right down the street from the house that he was living in. By this time, he hadn't moved into the mansion yet. A lady pulls up, gets out of the car, comes in and going in with the mayor. They go in the back room, close the door. We're sitting in there, we're standing at the, at the window. We're just watching, we're thinking, what the heck is going on here? So all of a sudden, a navigator comes around the corner. It was his wife. Oh, shoot. And uh, she goes right down the street and goes into the house down there. I'm not sure if we went and told him or he came out and we told him that his wife just drove by. You know, those are the kind of things that was happening. The women were just the tip of the iceberg. But they're important. Because when rumors started swirling about an exotic dancer at a party, it seemed believable to people who knew Kwame Kilpatrick well because of who he was when no one was looking. We knew a lot of stuff. I mean, I've driven him a few times. I would drive and walk here on the passenger side. We see how he carries himself. Come on now, we're adults. <laughs> I can recall the one time we were at, I think it was a talent show or a modeling thing uh, up in, uh, I think it was in Troy, out that way. You can hear him mumbling to one of his buddies, man, I show like that. And these, and these were like, they were like teenagers, you know. So we knew what kind of guy he was. I mean, come on. He wasn't fooling me. Yeah. So the idea of a party at the Minutian with strippers, that seemed like within the realm of possibility to you? To me? Oh, yeah. I I wouldn't put it past him. Some of the women Kwame staffers saw him with were known to them as Detroiters. One regular hookup was known to all of them as the mayor's chief of staff, Christine Beattie. But there were others. On one morning in the spring of 2003, Walt Harris wrote that he went to clean out one of the dark SUVs the mayor sometimes used on his own for mysterious late-night trips. Inside, Harris said he found empty champagne bottles and a ripped pair of light blue panties. They were too small to belong to the mayor's wife. Harris's team threw them away. But another member of the team retrieved them, put them in a bag, and returned them to the mayor. 
Yep, I was standing right there when the guy brought him back to the mayor. I was standing right there in the yard. So what did you think the mayor was doing on this late night trip? He had him in a bag, a brown bag folded up. And the guy pulled, he was off duty, he pulled up and uh, came in. We were in the backyard, me, Walt Harris, and the mayor. And he pulled the bag out of his pocket and handed it to the mayor, and the mayor stuck it in his pocket. Kwame Kilpatrick wasn't one to come clean in the face of accusations. But he was forced to give testimony years later in a whistleblower lawsuit brought by Walt Harris and Harold Nelthrope. Kilpatrick admitted to late-night sojourns, but he explained them like this. Here's a recreation of his words. I roll down the windows and have time with Kwame in Detroit. I see some of the projects that we need to get done. I see some of the things that my directors tell me they've gotten done. But I like being with the city by myself because this is the city that gave me so much. On the other side... Harris and Nelthrope said they were afraid of what that torn underwear was evidence of, and they wanted nothing to do with it. Nelthrope also wanted nothing to do with sitting in a car outside Christine Beatty's house overnight, stressed out about what he would have to do to an innocent man if Lou Beatty made a surprise visit and caught his wife with her boss. I know Christine Beatty's husband worked uh, midnight. And so one time he had us take over to Christine's house. We were sitting in the driveway. It was late at night, probably one o'clock in the morning. We said, man, what the hell is he doing in there? You know, and her husband at work. So we had to sit and contemplate on what was we going to do if Lou Beatty shows up. As a police officer, you have to discuss. Like a Secret Service would have to be president, okay? So... We had to make the decision, how do we stop him from going in? I mean, at, I hate to say this, it was to the point that we were like thinking like, hopefully you got to kill this guy. And then that's when it hit us. We need to get out of this unit. It must have caused a lot of anxiety for you to have to think about things like, what do we do with Carlita Kilpatrick while he's in the back room with this woman? What do we do when he's at Christine Beatty's and we're worried that Lou, her husband, is going to come home? It was. We basically made the decision it wasn't going to turn out well for either party. Aside from the women, there was drinking on the job in the Kilpatrick era of the Executive Protection Unit. In one instance, a drunk member of the security team crashed one of those cars and hid the wrecked evidence. In another, Kwame commandeered three brand new $15,000 police motorcycles just for his protection unit to tool around in. Street cops, meanwhile, were riding bikes that were years old. He's already reeling from bad press. You've seen the headlines. He says all that stuff is urban legend. Maybe so, but we got the pictures on this one. Look what we found warehoused on Belle Isle. Three police motorcycles worth about 15 grand apiece. The city bought these things for traffic enforcement. So why aren't they on the street? 
they were snatched up for the mayor's bodyguards. This Detroit traffic cop says he was supposed to get one of those Harleys. I arrived at the uh, garage to pick up my bike, as I was told, and I was informed my bike was no longer there, and it, it went to the mayor and his security. While the local media took swipes at the mayor, Kwame had plenty of supporters. A story in the Washington Post raved about his handling of the 2003 blackout. He was described as mature and statesmanlike. You can feel the vibe here a few years later at a State of the City address. No one thought we could host a successful Super Bowl, but we did. No one thought that we could even plow snow, but we do. No one thought that we can mow our parks regularly, but we do. No one thought that we could build new housing, but we have. And not only that, we've led the region in new housing. So to borrow a phrase from both Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, yes we can and yes we will. It's in this strange Neverland where Mayor Kwame Kilpatrick is a bright star publicly and sneaking panties into his pocket privately that Walt Harris says he first heard about the never-proven Manuvian Mansion party. The story about the party was in the background of life in the security detail, the way Harris describes it. A thing the officers assigned to Kwame gossiped about. One secret they all shared, like many others. And the rumor stayed a secret from the public until Harold Nelthrope finally broke ranks in 2003. It went like this. Nelthrope reported the Executive Protection Unit to Internal Affairs. His list of allegations included covering up the beating of an exotic dancer at a party at the Manudian Mansion. Gary Brown was head of Internal Affairs, and he set out to investigate. Al Bowman, who headed up the first team that caught the Tamara Green homicide case, he had also filed a complaint after he was suddenly removed from his squad, one that he loved, after he had started asking questions about Tamara Green dancing at a party at the Manugian in the months before she was killed. Kwame Kilpatrick then fired Gary Brown, who was the driving force behind all of these internal affairs investigations. All three cops hired attorney Mike Stefani, who took Kwame and the city to court in a whistleblower's case. Nelthrope was outed quickly as Kwame's whistleblower. Gary Brown immediately prepared a memo about his allegations. The memo included an allegation that, quote, Mrs. Carlita Kilpatrick, the mayor's wife, was involved in a physical altercation with a female dancer causing bodily injury, requiring medical attention. The memo was given to the police chief, and then it was passed along to the mayor's office. Members of the mayor's office told the media that Nelthrope was the source of the allegations. The mayor held a press conference on the steps of the Manudian mansion, where he called Nelthrope a liar. I would never disrespect my God my wife, or my children with this nonsense like a rumor. 
It's one of Kwame's many proclamations of innocence that doesn't age well. At the time, Nelthrope didn't know how word got out that he'd spilled the secrets of the men paid to protect the mayor. But he immediately put on his bulletproof vest. He was afraid one of his former colleagues in the mayor's executive protection unit would do anything, including murder, to shut him up. I was having incidents happening at my home. Cars would pull up. One time, a car pulled up on the corner. I lived off Abington and Linden. Car pulls up on the corner. I lived second house off the corner. And now uh, they didn't see me. I just have to be in my driveway. And I seen the guy get out. He had a weapon, went around to the other side, got in, and then started easing down the street past my house. Another incident happened, a black explorer pulled up. I happened to be across the street at my friend's house on the porch. And they had four guys in it, and they pulled right up into front of my house and stopped. They sat there for a few minutes. And so they didn't see me because, you know, they're not looking across the street. They're looking directly at my house. So I was having things like that to occur. So you thought that there could be some retribution for talking about oh, what no was actually... question. No question. No question about it. You won your whistleblower suit? Yes. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Nelthrope rode out the initial storm. Eventually, he quit the force, moved on with his life. The rise and fall of Kwame Kilpatrick reads like a Shakespearean tragedy. So many characters and plots, twists and turns. Through all the storylines swirling around Kilpatrick in those years, you have to wonder how the connections were drawn between whistleblower cops, lawlessness by the mayor's security detail, the never-proven Manudian mansion party involving exotic dancer Strawberry, a.k.a. Tamara Green, and then her death. One perspective is that there is no link. That's the view held by Detroit Free Press reporter M.L. Elric. Elric's a heavy hitter. He won a Pulitzer as part of the team that uncovered the illicit text messages that first sent Kwame Kilpatrick to jail. The party never happened. I never really? believed okay. it. Okay. There was one moment, one very brief moment, where I thought it might be possible, and that glimmer was immediately extinguished because... The one reason why I thought it might be possible, it was debunked right away. So even, even my one very slight and very cursory deviation from my belief that the party never happened was immediately I was put right back on course. I can't remember how I first heard about it, but I immediately dismissed it because it just sounded too implausible. But I did make some cursory checks, as any reporter would and called some police sources I had to ask them 
and they knew absolutely nothing about it. They had heard nothing about it. So I kind of dismissed it. And I, I, I may have asked a couple other people, but, but basically, if the cops didn't know about it and police gossip more than just about anybody in the world, their grapevine is, if it actually produced wine, it would be some of the finest vintage ever. Alric and Kwame Kilpatrick have a combative relationship at best. So let's just say ML wouldn't cover it up. If he could prove it, he would have. Then he would have shouted it from the rooftops. Cut to the chase. Here we are 20 years later, and I have not found one single scintilla of evidence that would mm-hmm. support the Manugian Mansion party rumor. Keep in mind the slippery nature of human memory, too. When I did my second round of calls, some of the police I had spoke to who knew nothing about it, when I called them, they said, oh, dude, do you know about the Manugan Mansion party? And I said, uh, I asked you about that, and you didn't know anything about it. And like, oh, no, no, yeah. it totally happened. So you didn't know anything about it when I called. But now, a week, a month later, you're absolutely certain it happened? Please. That's not how things work. A high-ranking officer from the time, who would only talk on background, said the connection between Tamara's murder and dancing at the Minugian was simple. When Tamara died, anonymous calls started coming into homicide, saying she was the dancer at the Minudian party. The allegation went into investigative reports, and the people who touched those reports were fired or displaced by a mayor whose name would become synonymous with abuse of power. Al Bowman quickly figured out how dangerous the case could be to a cop's career kind of got this word from uh, down the food chain, so to speak. What I did, I had a meeting with my team and I gave them, when the media pressure and all this shit was going on, I gave them a choice. I said, I'm not going to be disappointed or mad. And I'm talking to my uh, squad. Mm-hmm. I said, if any one of you feel uncomfortable that you don't want to go forward in investigating this case, I want to know now. And that means that as we move forward, you will not be privileged to any information that comes up new or any past information. Forget about it. You Mm -hmm. won't be you're going to be completely detached. Did it seem dangerous to them? I mean, dangerous to their careers. They felt their job was at risk. Their life may have been at risk. One male and one female told me they don't want to go forward with it. So, I, you know, I laid it out to them. No bad feelings. You won't get any uh, retaliation from me, but you will not be privileged to knowing anything going forward from this day. And it was because people felt like touching this case could jeopardize them. (laughs) Well, I'm a prime example. 
What happened to Bowman was that he started asking questions and talking to Michigan State Police investigators about possible connections between Tamara Green's murder and the party. And then he came in one day to discover he was no longer the squad leader. We were known as uh, the headhunters, more or less. I was always thorough with the work that I did. I had a lot of respect. I had a lot of hatred coming my way through jealousy, all of that. But I was honest and dedicated to doing the right thing. If you were to check my file, it's uh, unblemished after the 32 and a half years I spent. The green murder was sent to cold cases. That's where it remains. 20 years later. Did you ever have a suspect, do you remember? You don't have to say who it was, but before you got transferred, did you ever think like, oh, this case is going to be solved, and I think so-and-so did it? Well, a question similar to that was asked at the uh, whistleblower trial I was a part of as a plaintiff, and they asked me if whether or not I thought that the mayor, Kwame Kilpatrick, was involved, and I told them, I don't know. And I don't. Still, I don't know. Did you have any other suspects? Me personally, no. The same high-ranking former cop who would only talk on background recalled specifically that a copy of tomorrow's bank record showed up in homicide, anonymously delivered, and they showed a large deposit. The source of money in a victim's bank account would, of course, be something to look into. But the investigators who were responsible for asking questions about it had been shut down by Kwame and his chief of staff, Christine Beatty, who didn't want their personal lives outed. What they didn't know then was that the world would see all their dirty laundry and learn they were liars when their text messages were exposed. The nut of a lot of Kwame's legal troubles began when he and Christine Beatty were deposed in the police whistleblower case. Both Kilpatrick and Beatty denied they were having an affair. More than just denied, she huffed and rolled her eyes angrily at the line of questioning. A news anchor will read Kwame's testimony. He said this. I think it was pretty demoralizing for her. You have to know her but it's demoralizing to me as well. My mother is a congresswoman. There have always been strong women around me. My aunt is a state legislator. I think it's absurd to assert that every woman that works with a man is a whore. I think it's disrespectful, not just to Christine Beatty, but to women who do a professional job that they do every single day. And it's also disrespectful to their families as well. But here's the rub. As part of his discovery process, Cop attorney Mike Stefani had unearthed thousands of text messages that proved Kilpatrick and Beatty were having an affair. In the case of Gary Brown, they fired him directly to stop him from getting too close to that truth. We know it's true now because they texted about it. He was not fired. My understanding is he could go back to lieutenant. But I think Mr. Brown chose to retire. 
The texts Kwame and Christine sent on their city-owned devices told a different story. Here's what Christine Beattie texted to her lover and boss. I'm sorry we're going through this mess because of a decision that we made to fire Gary Brown. I'll make sure that the next decision is much more thought out. Not regretting what was done at all, but thinking about how we can do things smarter. It had to happen, though. I'm all the way with that. The city, which had been vigorously fighting the whistleblower case, decided within hours of the text message revelations to settle it. For $2 million more than the cops had been seeking, let that number sink in. As part of the payment of the settlement, Stefani was to seal the text messages, which would have kept Kwame's lies under wraps. But through some long and complex legal maneuvers, the text went to the Detroit Free Press. M.L. Elric remembers when the texts landed. Jim Schaefer had them first, and I was coming to look at him, and of course, I'm dying to know what he has seen because yeah. I've known the mayor for a long time and have seen a lot of things that led me to believe certain things about him. And our purpose in getting the messages had nothing to do to find out whether he was having an affair. We were interested in whether or not there was evidence in text messages that would point to public corruption. And so I was dying to uh, know what's in them. Now somebody has a stack of them in front of them, and it's one of my best friends. And he said, uh, just come over here and take a look. So we were working in a remote office because we wanted to have privacy because we figured this is pretty sensitive information. They're all stacked up on a desk. And I said, well, and he said, just take a look. And I said, come on, man, just tell me. He's like, take yeah. a look. And so I look on the first page and uh, within a page or two, I see, you know, I love you, which is pretty provocative, especially after the man's testified on oath, they didn't have an affair. But at the same time, lots of friends tell people they love each other. And these people have been friends for a long time. So I kind of was like, oh, wow, but trying to keep my excitement in check. But within a few pages, it's pretty clear that they've perjured themselves, that they have had a fully involved physical relationship. Mm -hmm that means the mayor lied under oath and that meant that his chief of staff lied under oath and as we looked through these messages it became clear that they lied about many things including things that they said under oath the text screamed from the front page of a special edition of michigan's most read newspaper there was sexting lots of it proclamations of love, even marriage. September 12, 2002, during the trip to Washington, D.C. Christine Beatty writes, Can I just come and lay down in your room until you get back? Kilpatrick responds, yes. The next morning, Kilpatrick, they were right outside the door. Referring to the mayor's bodyguards, they had to have heard everything. Beatty, so we are officially busted. Ha ha. The mayor. Ha ha. Damn that. Never busted. October 16th, 2002. The mayor writes, I've been dreaming all day about having you all to myself for three days. Relaxing, laughing, talking, sleeping, and making love. 
May 5th, 2003. The mayor writes, That's the first time that I couldn't fully seduce you. My game is off, haha. Thanks for the conversation and the QT. Love you. It wasn't just embarrassing. It was catastrophic. In that moment, Kwame's life as mayor ended, and his life as a defendant began. After the messages came out in 2008, County Prosecutor Kim Worthy charged Kilpatrick and Beatty with an array of felonies connected to lying about their relationship in the depositions. The charges included perjury and obstruction of justice. Kwame struck a deal. Mr. Kilpatrick, you understand that by pleading guilty that you're going to give up certain constitutional rights, you're also giving up the right to be presumed innocent until proven guilty. You understand that? I think I gave that up a long time ago, Your Honor, yes. He pleaded guilty in exchange for four months in prison, loss of his law license, and leaving office as mayor. He had cost the poorest city in America not only its budding reputation for rebirth, but a cool $8.4 million. And that was just the start. By the time Kwame Spiral landed, he was sentenced to 28 years in prison in 2013 in a federal racketeering case. The trial proved Kilpatrick headed a criminal enterprise out of the Detroit mayor's office, one that steered $84 million in city contracts to friends and relatives who shared the proceeds with Kilpatrick. Detroit filed the largest bankruptcy in American history the same year. The judge who sentenced him noted Kwame couldn't be held solely responsible for the $18 billion bankruptcy, but said he had played a role in it. Larger social and economic forces have been at work for decades in Detroit, and Mr. Kilpatrick cannot be held accountable for them. But corruption has its own cause. Mr. Kilpatrick's abuse of the public trust was a corrosive factor in itself, eroding confidence in city government and bringing cynicism and apathy among those who might otherwise be advocates for city growth. Detroit struggled to keep streetlights on or pay for basic firefighter gear, could barely pay teachers, couldn't afford enough cops for the street. Charlie LaDuff covered Kwame Kilpatrick in those days as a reporter for the Detroit News. He's a columnist, novelist, reporter, podcaster, TV personality, and native Detroiter. He won a Pulitzer Prize with the New York Times. The guy's a hustler. I mean, as soon as he admits that he did it and he apologizes for it, then I'll be satisfied. You did your time. You admitted it. You apologize. We move on. But because you won't, because you still lie, here's who he did hurt. Here's who did die under the administration of Kwame Kilpatrick. Every person that had a cardiac arrest who couldn't get an ambulance. Every child who died in a house fire because the fire trucks were broken. When you siphoned all the money off and you bullshitted the people that you loved them and that you were taking care of them and you were stealing from them the whole time, that's what you're guilty of. In our next episode, Detroit the Disaster, where murder cases go to die. 
11% of the homicides in the Detroit Police Department were solved. And so coming in, dealing with morale, dealing with those type of statistics, dealing with a community that candidly had lost total confidence in this police department. Who Killed Strawberry is a production of WWJ News Radio in Detroit. The podcast is produced by Zat Clark and me, Christy Strasser. Please give us a rating and be sure to subscribe. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Anyone with information on the murder of Tamara Green should call Crime Stoppers at 1-800-SPEAK-UP. All tips are anonymous. All views, statements, and opinions made by people in this podcast are theirs alone. All individuals should be considered innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.